0: Assalamu alaikum alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to another episode of the Ahmed Khan podcast. Here we hope to convene conversations related to religion, politics, science, philosophy, and the contemporary issues of our age. Today we have Dr. Ali Alta'i joining us, who is a scholar of biblical hermeneutics with field specialties in several languages. Um, He is a professor at Zaytuna College. And he teaches classes such as creedal theology, comparative theology, sciences of the Quran, and seminal ancient texts. Related to our discussion today about looking at the Bible through a Muslim lens, Dr. Ali has received his Master's in Biblical Studies from the Pacific School of Religion. And in 2016, he acquired his PhD in Cultural and Historical Studies in Religion from the Graduate Theological Union. He is one of the most qualified, if not the most qualified people I feel uh, on this subject. Um, so thank you for making time for us today, Dr. Ali.
1: Thank you so much. Assalamu Alaikum wa Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ali. So let's jumping straight into the topic, looking at, you know, you taught a course online, which was called the Bible through a Muslim lens. And there's so much that we need to unpack here. What is the Bible? um what are the books mentioned within the bible um and i think an excellent you know just a starting point if you could uh, if we could begin here is you know the bible is considered is consists of both the old testament and the new testament so i was wondering if you could just briefly speak upon both of them and answering whether or not there is some level of divinity within it were, were these revealed scriptures that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent down
1: yeah um uh, bismillah ar-rahman ar-rahim sallallahu alaihi wasallam. sallam wa alihi wa So as you said um the the bible is uh, divided into uh two broad parts the old testament and the new testament of course the term old testament is 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 christian terminology right mm-hmm. so uh, the the jews don't refer to the the old testament as the old testament uh because it um implies that it's it's no longer valid or somehow superseded um, so they call it the Tanakh, okay, which is a, an acronym. So the, the Tau is for Torah, the the Noon is for Nibim, and the Kaf is for Ketubim. So you have the 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 Torah. And this case, in the word Torah, can mean different things. It's kind of um, it can be used uh, as sort of a uh, very loosely. Uh, but in the acronym Tanakh, Torah means basically Chumash. Which is also known as the Septuagint, which is the first five books uh, of the the Bible. So here we're looking at the books of Moses, books that are attributed to Moses. So um, so traditional Christians and Jews believe that the first five books, these are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, these are written by Musa alayhi salam. Okay. Okay. That's what they believe. And then you have a set of books known as the Nibim or the Prophets, Nibiyin, right? Nabim is in Hebrew. And these are basically books that are named after prophets. So again, traditional Jews and Christians believe that prophets uh, wrote these books like uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, um, Amos, Micah, um, etc. And then you have the Ketobim, which is sometimes translated as the writings or the hagiography. And these are also considered to be sacred writings. So, so, so according to um, Orthodox Judaism, there is a hierarchy of of revelation, if you will. So okay. the first five books of Moses is considered the highest type of revelation. It's, you know, basically like ipsissima uh, uh, verba, the very words of God. Basically what like the traditional Muslim position is regarding the Quran, that, that you know, with the Quran, we don't believe that these are the words of the Prophet, I mean, he was the first human being to utter them Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did not choose the wording. The, the wording itself is chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not chosen by Jubil mm. alayhi salam. It's not chosen by the Prophet. Alayhi so this is similar to how Orthodox Jews view the first five books. Okay. So um, the, these were revealed to Moses. They're very words of God spoken by Moses. Then you have, like I said, the Nabim. Uh,
0: uh, just quickly, Dr. Is- Ali. Um, Do do, do Orthodox Jews believe that there were revelations before the Torah, before the books of of Musa?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, in in the book of Genesis, uh, we're told the the flood story of Noah, beginning in Genesis chapter 6. So, you know, Noah is commanded to uh, take into the ark uh, pairs of clean and unclean animals. So a a secular historian would look at that and say, well, this is obviously, there's a problem here because, um, you know, the Jews did not know what was clean and unclean until the actual law of Moses was revealed. Mm. Uh, But the the, uh, confessional response would be, no, there was actually a law revealed prior to Noah, peace be upon him. Uh, so okay. he actually received some sort of law as well, and Abraham as well. Abraham received some sort of revelation um, uh, from God, but mo- the, the revelation given to Moses is considered to be the highest and most authoritative uh, type of revelation. That is good for all time. So there's no, there's no idea of abrogation uh, of any of those 613 commandments given in the Torah. Okay. okay, so they're immutable. They're transhistorical. They are the very words of God. Okay, so this is a traditional Jewish belief. Of course, um, uh, almost no secular historian uh, takes the position. Obviously, a secular historian is not going to say that these are revealed words of God because a secular historian does not take miracles into consideration. Exactly. It's just not. It's just not part of their method. But they'll also say that these words were definitely not written by someone named Moses. Um, you know, 1500 years before the common era. So there's a very wide gap between what secular historians are saying. And this is the general consensus is that uh, the five books attributed to Moses are actually a composite work. So you basically had four different writers um, writing at different times in different places. And then sometime in the fifth century, before the common era, so something uh, post-exilic, after the uh, Babylonian exile, someone called the redactor, that's what Julius Wellhausen refers to him as, maybe Ezra the scribe, somebody actually took these different traditions um, uh, and stitched them together, and now you have the Pentateuch, or the five books of Moses. So. but nonetheless, uh, Orthodox rabbis believe that these books were written by Moses on Mount Sinai, uh, something like 15 centuries before the Common Era, uh, over a 40-day and 40-night period. Um, and then the nabim, uh, it's a, lo- a lower-tier uh, revelation. So Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, so on and so forth, they're basically being inspired by God, and they're articulating that inspiration. So something similar to hadith, right? Okay. So the, so the hadith of the Prophet is still wahi, anil hawa, right? The Qur'an says the Prophet them never speaks from his own hawa or caprice. illa yuha. It is no less than inspiration. Everything he says is wahi. But the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ is, is, is different. I mean, you read his words and you read the Qur'an, it's, it's very clearly different um, because the Qur'an has this idea of i'jaz. Sometimes it's uh, uh, referred to as a type of insuperability, uh, this, this idea that it's impossible to imitate the style of the Qur'an, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a topic, a big topic by itself. Uh, so it's it basically, it is impossible to imitate the Quran. Many people have tried, but they've failed. And since the Quran is such a mass transmitted, um, uh, living tradition ever since its inception, it's impossible to, to, to fabricate the Quran, but hadith have been fabricated. Uh, people have write things and they, and they've, they've, um, pawned them off as hadith mm-hmm. and they've invented chains of transmission and things like that. So you have to be very, very careful with, with hadith and our scholars well, have gone into the corpus.
0: So just while on that topic, Doctor Ali, um, the Quran in in your, um, in, your um, in your in your in your Quran classes, you teach um, this theory about the Quran, which is known as kaiasm, or this ring theory. Um, it's it, it's it's interesting. You know, I'll have you explain what the ring theory is. But I was recently reading an article, uh, research paper, arguing that the ring theory is also found within the Book of Psalms, which is within the Old Testament, and. So this this brings me to the to the question as, what what things within the Old Testament can we consider to be divine? If we see something like that, if we affirm something like a a ring theory is true, and then it's it, that it that it could only come from a divine source, does that ultimately mean that the ring theories that are found in the Old Testament are also um, divine as well?
1: No, I don't I don't think so. It, it's um uh, so Semites would write in this way. OK, this is a, a very common way, um, a very common type of of Semitic rhetoric is to write in a chiasmus or in a ring structure or in parallel structures. So you, f- you find this in in uh, certain places in the Pentateuch. You find it in the Psalms, as you said, y- you, you'll find it in the, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so, so anything written by a Semite tends to have these these rhetorical uh, devices, it doesn't make them divine revelation. The thing about the Quran is that the ring theory is on a different level. I mean, if you read Raymond Farron's book uh, on Al-Baqarah, he says the entire surah is one big chiasmus, right? So oh, the, this is extraordinary for someone who's not writing this down, because the Prophet sallam, is not writing down the Quran in uh, the, the ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah are being revealed to him at different stages during his life along with other ayat from other suar, and for him to know exactly where to put all of these things, you know, sort of just in his head, uh, or to tell scribes where to write this and that, and to, and mm-hmm. to have these surahs come out, even Al-Ma'idah. Michel Kuypers had a, wrote a tremendous book. Michel is a Belgian priest, he's not Muslim. Merriman Farron is not Muslim. A lot mm-hmm. of this work is being done um, by non-Muslims, and it's really extraordinary. His book is So called can the you, Bank.
0: Dr. Ali, can you give an example of ring theory? So just so people have an idea of what what exactly you're talking about about this ring, this circle. Yeah.
1: So at a very basic level, Suratul kawthar right? In <inaudible> الْكَوْثَرُ So Kawthar and aptar, right? The, the 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 last word of the first verse, right, means abundance, yeah. and, and then the last the last word of the the final verse, the third verse, means to be cut off. So these are opposites. Right, so these two verses sort of correspond. These are textual units that are related in what's known as an antithetic relationship. They seem to be opposites. So then, what's in the middle? That's the sort of uh, the sort of highlighter, the the sort of um, uh, sort of uh, main point. I guess you can say the focus of the surah uh, is to worship and the sacrifice for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Right. Uh, so, uh, so ring theory also known as chiasmus. So it comes after you know, the letter Chi is an X, right? Mm, an X, okay. right? So what you have at the top of the X sort of matches what's down at the bottom in some sort of, uh, some sort of relationship, rhetorical relationship, either in the sense of being antithetical, it's sort of, it's sort of the opposite or it's synonymic. And then right in the middle of the X, you know, the focus, uh, that that's, that's, that's where everything sort of, converges towards mm-hmm. and that's the most important part or the highlight the pivot all right it's called the uh the amood like islahi and farahi who are confessional muslim scholars they actually they, they actually uh, also um bring this to light in their books as well to dabu quran for example uh they call it the amood which is like the sort of i guess you could say the, like pillar the center of the, main the center the main mm-hmm. thing yeah so that's a very like in, simple example okay uh-
0: like in like an ayatul kursi for example um, yeah. Do you mind explaining that the ring theory that's there? And then,
1: yeah, I mean, I'd have to I'd have to pull it up. I know we've 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 gone over that in, in our class. Mm-hmm. So like the first verse, it 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 the corresponds uh, with the last. It corresponds with the last. There's sermon. There's, um, similar terminology being used. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. exactly the same phraseologies being used. And then the second part of the ayah matches the second to last part, the third part, the third to last part, and right in the middle. I believe يَعْلَمُونَ مَا بَيْنَ is right in the middle, stressing the absolute uh, omniscience of Allah subhanahu wa taala. So it's very, very common. So yeah, you'll find this in different okay. different writings. Uh, but what the Quran does, I mean, the Quran is really just a a. As one of my teachers said, an ocean of of rhetoric, right? Uh, which is just, uh, I mean, it's the it's the first book ever written in Arabic. Uh, it's absolutely unmatched uh, by anything. Um, nothing even comes close to the Qur'an. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's really interesting, the Prophet ﷺ as a mm-hmm. Nabi al-Ummi, which has different meanings, Gentile prophet, but it can also mean the unlettered prophet. Someone can write uh, this type of, of book with all of these rhetorical uh, devices um, uh, and, um, and consistently uh, not contradict himself and challenge, right? The challenge is, is is an open challenge. It's called the tahaddi, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and we're going to, in our ulum al-Qur'an class, you haven't taken it yet, but we actually, because some Christians have claimed to have answered the challenge. So we mm-hmm. actually review some of their so-called suwar <laughs> that they've, they've written. Um, you know, 1999, I think Wine Press Publishing, they put out a book called Furqan al-Haq, right? Uh, where they basically wrote a counterfeit Quran in order to a- answer the challenge. So actually in our class, we actually go through these, these, uh, these so-called suwar and demonstrate how they're nothing like uh, mm. the Quran. And in many times they plagiarize wholesale from the Quran. So, so the challenge is not to, you know, instead of saying, allahu ahad, you say, or something you change a few words no it's not the challenge is not to take the quran and and change a few words It's to imitate the style of the quran Mm -hmm. and that by itself requires uh you know a separate lecture by itself exactly what what i mean by that
0: um you just just while we're on that topic dr ali i once came across um i don't know who wrote it but there was some deviant sect that tried to imitate the quran and um, I read one of their um, surahs that they wrote, and it was literally a copy and paste of um, Surat Nas, or Surah, It was Surat yeah. Nas, and they just changed one or two words in it, and they said we've imitated it. And I'm like, you yeah. basically just took one word out and changed it.
1: Yeah, I and mean, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what the <laughs> Furqan al-Haq does. There's also this lady. I think she was, I think a couple years ago. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe in Tunisia where she wrote this Surat Kofid, right? The Surah of COVID. Uh, and if you read it, it actually sounds, to an untrained ear, it sounds like the Quran, but the meanings are totally ridiculous, right? Mm. Uh, so, you know, they came to Musaylama, according to our tradition, because Musaylama was claiming to be a prophet. And, and uh, apparently he was actually a pretty good poet. But, you know, there's different types of miracles in our tradition, right? So there's, you know, there's a mujiza which is a miracle given to a prophet. And then there's something called an ihana, which is given to someone who's claiming to be a prophet, which is a miracle. It's, it's considered to be a breach of, of, of natural occurrence. Um, but the purpose of it is to humiliate a false prophet. Uh, mm. So, for example, the Prophet ﷺ, in our tradition, mm-hmm. he spat into a well and the water overflowed and this beautiful smell of musk. Came from the well. Well, Musaylama al-Kadhab, he spat into a well and it dried up and this putrid, foul <laughs> smell, which is a which is a miracle, right? You don't you don't Not see that happening, right? It's a adat. I mean, it's a breach of natural law. So, you know, they came to him and said, you know, this man in Medina, he's he's you know, he's really reciting something beautiful and you know. You know, and then he he apparently made some ridiculous, you know, alfil, wa wama adraka and tawil, qasir, or something, something completely ridiculous, and they laughed him, you know, to scorn. And uh, but many have tried, and you know, the the Arabs at that time, you know, this was the height of their language, and they would have taken this challenge very, very seriously, you know. Mm. And so they were completely incapacitated by the; they didn't even try to do it right which is which is a proof of the like the sort of sunni position as opposed to the mu'tazili position the mu'tazili position is that the human being has an internal capacity there's an ability to imitate the quran but allah simply will not allow that person to right um uh, whereas the the sunni position is that it's just not it's not possible for a human being he doesn't have the capacity uh, to do that and our position is strengthened when we look at the history uh, of uh, of the quran the history uh, of the prophet sallam, that the the arabs immediately recognized that they could mm. not imitate uh, uh, the quran um uh so, so 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 the quran employs these rhetorical devices at, at a much much more advanced okay. level yeah okay. and even there are even some orientalists i mean you know the orientalist is supposed to be you know objective right so but if if you read their books they have <laughs> like vastly different opinions as to, <laughs> you wow. know, uh, as to, you know, when the Qur'an was codified and, you know, so we would say the entire Qur'an is written down at the time of the Prophet sallam, oh, and the, the committee of Sayyidina Uthman codified the text or standardized the text. And this is more or less the position of uh, theodore Noldeke. This is standard Western text uh, in Islamic studies, uh, the German scholar Theodore Noldeke, the history of the Qur'an. But you have other scholars who say that, I think it's um, you know, John Burton who said that the prophet himself uh, codified the Quran all the way to John Wansborough who said the Quran was probably written by a committee in Iraq in the 8th <laughs> century and there never was a prophet, this type of radical revisionism.
0: Why mm-hmm. is he saying
1: that? Why, why, why is he saying that a group of scribes in Iraq wrote the Quran? Because it's, for him, he can see that it's impossible for one man uh, who's unlettered, living in living in Medina, uh, to have written this incredible text? It must have been a committee of people who knew Jewish theology and Christian theology, and they they knew these texts of the ancient uh, or, or the late antique period. And you know, so that that's his conclusion. I mean, nobody mm-hmm. really takes him seriously anyway. Uh, okay. but that's very interesting as well is that is that our narrative um, is is the is basically. About the sort of our narrative concerning the codification, standardization of the Quran is 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 basically the general consensus of the historical okay. community. Okay. Yeah. Uh, whereas when we look at the Torah, there's a big, big difference between what confessional Jews are saying and what the historians are saying. Big difference, mm-hmm. hundreds of years apart. Mm-hmm. And the same as and, and with the New Testament Gospels. Okay. So Christians, you know, traditional Christians believe that you know, Matthew wrote Matthew's gospel and and Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. Uh, And John, the son of Zebedee, a disciple of Jesus, wrote the gospel of John. Uh, Almost no secular historian takes this position, um, uh, you know, unless they're, you know, really hardcore evangelical scholars. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it it doesn't make sense. You know, the gospel of John was written probably around 90 of the common era. And that's to be generous. I mean, so, some put it out really late in the second century. Mm-hmm. Okay, So let's just say... And, and those, just,
0: uh, those Gospels you're referring to are part of the New Testament,
1: correct? The New Testament, yeah. So that's the second major part of the Bible. You have the Old Testament or Tanakh, and then you have the New Testament. The New Testament begins with these four Gospels that are supposed to be written by two disciples of Jesus and then two disciples of disciples. So, So Luke is a... A disciple of Paul, according to the traditional attribution, and Mark is a student of Peter. What's interesting is there's a gospel of Peter that was rejected by the church, but the gospel of Mark, who's a student of Peter, is accepted uh, by the church. Uh, the reason why the gospel of Peter was not accepted by the church is because, is because uh, uh, during the resurrection of Jesus, the cross actually comes out of the tomb and begins to speak. Uh, and they thought that was just ridiculous. Wow, interesting. Um, and also the in the Gospel of Peter, it says that Jesus on the cross, it says that that basically God t- uh, took his soul, removed his soul. Uh, so it almost seems like uh, he he didn't die from his from the actual ordeal of the crucifixion that he was sort of raptured up into heaven. That's what sort of the the sort of uh, that's how one could read. But the gospel of peter is actually saying so if jesus doesn't die as god and doesn't die from his ordeal then there's no vicarious atonement for sin
0: so so dr uh, ali you keep mentioning um the word gospel is this gospel you're referring to the injil
1: well so yeah i mean the word gospel means injil right so as muslims we believe that isa was given a revelation Okay, and the Quran calls that revelation Al-Injil, the gospel. Okay, so if you read Matthew's gospel, for example, in Matthew's gospel, it says that Jesus would go to a certain place and he would teach the gospel. So my question is, what is Jesus teaching? Is he teaching Matthew's gospel? Mm -hmm. No, because (laughs) Matthew's gospel was not written yet, right? Is he teaching Luke's gospel? No, not written yet. Is he teaching... Something written by Paul in Galatians or in 1 Corinthians? No, these things are not written. So what is Jesus teaching when Matthew says Jesus is going to a certain, certain place and he's teaching the gospel? We believe in that gospel. That's the mm-hmm. proto-gospel. Now, where is that gospel? It probably was never written down. It was probably a, a the spoken message of Isa, alayhi salam. This is probably why he's called Karimatullah, Allahu alam. Okay. Uh, and and it probably, Allah
0: means the word of Allah,
1: the word of Allah, a word from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that eventually his words were written down. Um, some of those words are probably preserved in the four Christian gospels, but there were over 30 gospels. There were there were several epistles that did not make it into the New Testament. You know, the, the first Christian writer is Paul. Okay. And, uh, Paul is the first person in recorded history to say that Jesus was crucified. Uh, and he says this in the book of Galatians. Um, and, uh, my question is, you know, why is Paul, why does it seem like Paul is the only Christian in the fifties? In sixties, that that's writing these letters and epistles. Where are the letters and epistles of the other disciples of yeah. Jesus? I mean, Paul was not even a disciple of Jesus, according to according to Christian admission. He was he was uh, commissioned later um, when he was um, you know this sort of what is it called the uh, the Damascus roadside conversion or whatever they call it. You know where where is the letter? Where, where are the where are the authoritative or the authentic letters of Peter and James? A, a Christian would say they're in the New Testament. There's something called First Peter and Second Peter, and there's something called uh, the Epistle of James. Almost all historians view those as forgeries. they were written much later in the second century.
0: They mm, were not okay. written
1: by James. They were not written by James. They were not written by Peter. The letter of Jude was not written by Jude we don't have the authentic writings of the actual disciples of isa alayhi salam. okay
0: and but do do we dr ali do we know what the teachings of isa alayhi salam, were were they akin to something like musa alayhi salam, who brought a set of laws with him or something like the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam, or was the message of isa alayhi salam, different
1: yeah so um The message of isa from from our perspective was was one of tohid okay so according to historians probably the most accurate christology of the disciples is represented by a group called the the ebionites okay and there were different groups of ebionites and many early church fathers write about the ebionites so that's e-b-i-o-n ebion i-t-e-s the ebionites Uh, So these were, these were apparently, you know, sort of Jewish Christians. So these were, you know, believers in Jesus, but (coughs) they continued to follow uh, the Jewish laws. They believed that Isa was not God. He was Mm -hmm. not a divine son of God. He was a prophet Messiah, okay, um, who taught them basically the, the spirit of the law. He confirmed um, the, the commandments of Musa alayhi salam, but he did make certain amendments and addendums to the law because that's the, that's the prerogative of Rasul. And that's something that the Quran actually says, the Quran quoting mm-hmm. Isa alayhi salam, that I've come to make lawful part of that which was made unlawful uh, for you. Now, if you ask a historian uh, who was Jesus, you'll get different answers as well, right? But the dominant opinion among historians so, for example, Albert, Albert Schweitzer and, you know, Bart Ehrman, uh, Dale uh, Martin, uh, Dale Allison. Um, uh, they will say that Jesus was an apocalyptic Jewish prophet, okay, who, was, um, who taught sort of a more liberal version of the law of Moses um, and prophesied someone to come after him called the Son of Man. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And uh if you uh if you read the New Testament gospels, uh Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, but very clearly he's also talking about someone to come after him at some point uh hmm. who is not him, right? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this evil and adulterous generation of him shall the son of man be ashamed when he shall come uh in his glory in the glory of his father he says with the angels um, so is that exactly what Jesus said? No. I mean, th- this was written in Greek. It was written by Mark around 70 of the Common Era. Ma- Mark is highly influenced by Pauline Christology. He's highly influenced by, um, uh, I would say, Middle Platonism. I-, I would say he's also influenced by Enochic uh, um, tradition. I mean, there's we don't have to go into these these terms, but um it's it's sufficient to say that the four gospels are highly influenced by by greek metaphysics okay
0: interesting
1: yeah so like even in the gospel of gospel of john you know jesus called the logos right this is mm-hmm. this is a, this is a greek concept it goes back to heraclitus um you know uh, hellenized jewish philosophers like like philo talk about the logos before john wrote the gospel and and philo is not considered to be uh you know a um he's he's considered to be a, a deviant uh jew i mean the, the orthodox you know they they sort of quote him on certain things but his theology is way off uh philo believes in this idea of uh you know the one uh, the high god who emanates Uh, The logos from his very being in pre-eternality and the logos is sort of a second God He actually refers to him as a second God so so in my contention is that Matthew in Matthew Mark Luke and John uh, Jesus is depicted as a divine being, but he's not the divine being. He's not the God Mm -hmm. He is a God so the four Gospels and this is according to their context the four Gospels were not written by Trinitarians. They didn't have that language, right? So, you know, the Trinity did not become Orthodox Christianity until the fourth century of the Common Era. And then they went back into these Gospels and said, oh, when Jesus says this, he must be talking mm-hmm. about some So they concept. started
0: reinterpreting it.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a retroactive uh, mm-hmm. hermeneutic using Trinitarian nomenclature. And the four uh, Gospels...
0: And while we're on that point, Dr. Adi, um, a question I've been meaning to ask you is, you know, when we look at the New Testament, we see that there's this terminology of the Father and the Son that yeah. consistently that Jesus is talking about. But, but when we look at the Old Testament, we find that the same terminology is mentioned there as well about the Father and the Son. So for example, in Isaiah 60, uh, chapter 64, um, verse 16, um, it, he, he talks about this type of language. In the Psalms, Chapter 82, verse 6, he says, uh, quote, God says you are the children of the Most High. Um, And the passage in Isaiah is you are the Lord, our Father. So why is it that that classical Orthodox Jews interpreted uh, the father and son relationship as being metaphorical? Whereas in the New Testament, Christians have interpreted this as being literal. And therefore, Jesus is the literal son of God
1: yeah again i would i would chalk that up to um, hellenistic influence okay so mm-hmm. so clearly clearly the language is meant to be uh, it, it's it's majaz right it's figurative it's takrimi imam al-razi says in his in his tafsir that this type of language in the, in the biblical text is meant to be honorific right ibadu the quran says rather they are servants raised to honor right so uh, and I- I- imam al-ghazali makes the same point uh, about the language in, in the Tanakh, the Old Testament. Um, uh, so, like Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Uh, you quoted Isaiah, uh, Atta Adonai Avinu, You are the Lord, our Father." And and there are times in the New Testament as well where it's also used in that metaphorical sense. You know, so the Lord's Prayer, right? Uh, our Father who art in heaven right? Mm -hmm. Uh, In, in Syriac, it's avun Vashmeo, avun, like our, our father, you know? So Jesus, this is, this is Jesus teaching the Lord's prayer to the Jews that are there, Uh, whoever is there. And Judas Iscariot apparently was there as well. And he's teaching Judas, this is how to pray, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. our, uh, our father who art in heaven. So, so these are Hebraisms, right? These are, these are terms that have to be understood in the Jewish context, Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Christi- what the Christians did is that they took these, basically, appropriate these appropriated these Jewish terms and then redefined them through a Trinitarian lens. Mm-hmm. Because, okay. because the early Christian movement led by Paul, Hellenistic Christianity, um, adopted many Hellenistic motifs and themes. So, this, all, this whole idea of the Logos, this whole idea of a dying and rising Savior, man God. This is totally anathema and foreign to Judaism. This Mm. idea that that God becomes a human being or God sends a divine being who's supposed to be his son somehow to die for the sins of humanity. Nothing is more antithetical to Judaism than such Mm. a belief. This does not come from Judaism. Where does this come from? This comes from uh, Hellenistic metaphysics, Hellenistic mythology. uh, mythology. Um, This is something that's well documented. a book that I, that I recommend is a book called Jesus Deus by Dr. M. David Litwa, uh, where he goes into all of these similarities. They all predate Christianity. In fact, the early, church, the early church fathers also, Justin Martyr, the father of Logos Christology, he was so bothered by similarities between uh, events in the life of Jesus or uh, what Paul says about Jesus or what the New Testament teaches about Jesus he was so bothered by the similarities between his Christology and what the ancient pagans were saying about Dionysus and Asclepius mm. and Hercules. And so he said that the devil is trying to play a trick on us. The devil sort of emulated these prophecies of Jesus in order to to trick Christians or deceive deceive mm. Christians. And that's how he sort of explains it away. And I say this with all due respect, obviously we have Christian friends, we have Christian teachers and colleagues and uh, but mm-hmm. I, but I think this I think this is the argument the Quran is making and I'm not going to apologize for an argument that the Quran is making um, mm-hmm. you know, the Quran says that the, that the Christians say that Jesus is the son of God this is exactly what the pagans of old used to say many of these uh, many of these uh, ideas uh, even you know the Transfiguration so so uh, a very common, understanding of the Gospels is that only in John Jesus is God, but in the previous Gospels called the Synoptics, he's not God. I don't believe that. I think he's a God in all four Gospels. Even in Mark's Gospel, he is a, he is a divine Son of God mm-hmm. who dies for the sins of humanity. It's very clear. He's going to judge humanity on the day of judgment. And you have this the, the Transfiguration in, in Mark chapter 9, where Jesus goes on a mountain, the Mark in Jesus, not the real Jesus, the 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 Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, and he's transfigured, and then his disciples are scared, and then they and then a voice is heard. This is the Son of God. Uh, so so David Litwa in his book Jesus Deus he shows that this is exactly the sequence of events that you find in pre-Christian uh, pagan myths about Demeter wow. and about Dionysus. You have this this kind of uh, This kind of transfiguration episode. There's an epiphany uh, Mm -hmm. where a a a man god, uh, you know, his flesh explodes into light, and then his disciples are afraid, and then they worship him, or he's identified as being some sort of child uh, or son of God. It's exact, you know, in an exact correspondence. We find this in the Gospel of Mark. So, so uh, in in Mark's Gospel, written around seventy. Jesus is seen as a divine being. Um,
0: and, and the Gospel of Mark is the first gospel compiled, correct? It's the first gospel in the New
1: Testament. Yes. It's the first gospel in the New Testament. Uh, but like I said, there were many, many other gospels. And, and reading Paul's letters is really interesting uh, because uh, the subtext of Paul's letters reveals a lot. You know, in Galatians, you know, Paul is very angry with. With the galatians so paul went to a place called galatia which is in turkey right and he evangelized mm. them with with his gospel and he actually says my gospel he uses that phrase three times this is my gospel my gospel my why not the gospel oh. my gospel so he goes there and he, and he gives them his gospel and then and then uh and then he leaves the city and then according to the standard exegesis of of galatians jewish christians from jerusalem you know Probably sent by James, you know, who is the brother of Jesus, the successor of Jesus. He's called Yaakov Hadadir, James do the we, Just.
0: Do, do we, do we as Muslims believe that James is the brother of Isa?
1: I mean, there's no reason that, the, to reject that. I mean, there's there's nothing. Allahu alam. I mean, it, is, it, is his it, mother Maryam? Uh, possibly. So, so for Catholics, it's a big no-no. So, so Maryam alayhi salam, she has to stay a virgin her entire life in catholicism uh-huh. in, in protestantism there's no such uh, doctrine of perpetual virginity okay. so who is james probably he's probably the step brother of isa salam um, or he's the actual half brother of isa alayhi salam it's possible that Maryam alayhi salam uh, had children after after isa salam but nonetheless james is the he, he is the successor of jesus in jerusalem and according to the standard exegesis of Galatians, he sends he sends apostles, men from James, it says, into Galatia to correct Paul's deviant teachings. And mm. Paul writes this like white hot letter back to the Galatians where he just does not hold back. And he says, oh, stupid Galatians, who has bewitched you? Uh, didn't I portray Jesus Christ as crucified? Very um. interesting. What does he mean by that? Did I not portray before your eyes? He says, Jesus Christ clearly as crucified. What were these Jamesonian apostles teaching? Maybe they were teaching that Jesus wasn't crucified. And then he says, Why did you turn to a different gospel?
0: Hmm. And he actually
1: uses that for he says, Evangelion heteron, right? A different gospel. So there was a different wow. gospel floating around, being uh, being being preached by Jamesonian apostles, who is a brother of Jesus. Um, so you know why should we give precedence uh to paul who who all throughout his letters is i mean his his most vehement enemies are not jews or pagans they're actually other christians they're jewish christians
0: hmm. and, and he, the disciples, i believe as well right there was a antagonistic yeah. relationship with the two
1: yeah he he you know he brags about you know withstanding peter to his face and he calls you know peter james and john so called pillars and super apostles he's very disrespectful the corinthians actually demand from paul uh, a letter of recommendation which is basically an ijaza you know because apparently um in order to be a uh, a christian missionary you have to have some sort of ijaza some sort of documentation from james mm-hmm giving you okay. authority to preach the gospel. So the Corinthians, they come to Paul and they ask him, where's your letter? And he says, I don't need a letter
0: because uh, okay, you, okay, you okay. are
1: my letter. He says, you are my letter. Um, and then he and then basically he says, you know, that, you know, there's a you know, there's a messenger from Satan who comes and he beats me. Um, and, uh, you know, that's all the letter I need. You know, this is very, very is stunning. All Paul thing?
0: Is it is what Paul all is saying?
1: Paul, okay. Yeah. Paul says this in, in his letter to the Corinthians that uh, an of Satan, he says, a messenger of Satan comes and he beats me and uh, and um, in order to keep me humble. And this was a very tormented man. OK, uh, so, so. So but he's. He, he's uh-huh?
0: So, so, so Dr. Ali, you're saying because this is something I've never heard before. So you're saying that when James was going and who's a step stepbrother or, um, you know, whatever relationship he has with Isa, he's going out there with a gospel. um, And that gospel is making the argument that Jesus was not crucified. And when Paul finds out about that, he's saying, he's basically saying like, you know, I have the correct gospel. But you're saying that where is that gospel? And perhaps, you know, some of the things that it's articulating are haq are truth.
1: Yeah, it, it. I mean, you can read that behind the subtext of Paul's letter. Like, what is he? What does he mean when he says, "Did I not portray Jesus Christ clearly before your eyes as crucified"? What mm-hmm. does he mean by that? So, a, a, a possible meaning of that is that the Galatians were told by these Jamesonian apostles that Jesus was not crucified, or that he was crucified, but that the meaning of the crucifixion is radically different than what how Paul is interpreting. Mm. We don't know exactly because we don't have anything authentic from James. Mm. All we have is from Paul, right? Mm. So Paul is the first person in recorded history to say Jesus was crucified. He's the divine son of God. And then these four gospels are highly influenced by Pauline Christology. Okay, so that's just one trajectory. Uh, The Ebionites, I mentioned them earlier, they considered Paul an apostate. They hated Paul. They thought he corrupted the gospel. Okay, um and uh you know they 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 don't like him at all um do we consider
0: do we consider the Ebionites kind of on the teachings of what isa alayhi salam uh like what group would you say really embodied the teachings of isa alayhi salam in that early period
1: yeah so the the early the earliest christians were called nazarenes they weren't called christians they were called uh hanutsuri um uh, um, so that's the Hebrew title uh, Because Isa السلام, uh, came from Nazareth um, and, the, and the Quran Uses this title and nasara For the Christians, the, the Quran does not call them Al-Masihiyun or something like that um, So the earliest the, the earliest title of the Christians Is the Nazarenes and this, They're called this in the book of Acts as well All of the Christians, I think there was a split I think there was a split between The, the uh, Pauline Nazarenes who adopted Hellenistic ideas um, and the Jamesonian uh, Nazarenes who were in the tradition of the actual teachings of Isa. Uh, Unfortunately, the Pauline Nazarenes, they became victorious because Paul was able to basically integrate uh, different elements of um, Greco-Roman religion uh, into the gospel. Uh, And by doing so, it made it much more uh, favorable, palatable for a Greco-Roman audience to accept his, his version of the gospel. Um, because, you know, when, Roman men, did he, they, did he do they that don't want moment. to circumcise. What's that? <laughs>
0: they didn't want to circumcise. They do uh, want to circumcise you, themselves. Uh, now that you brought that up, I'm going to go a little bit off tangent. Um, so, Because um, I think it's related. So when Napoleon got to Egypt, um, Napoleon used to sit with the, the Azhari scholars and they asked him, Napoleon, why don't you become Muslim? And, you know, if you become Muslim, the Ottomans would join you. And Napoleon said, there's two things that are, that are causing my men to deter from Islam. And the ulema said, you know, okay, let's try to figure out what it is and see if we can reconcile this. Because if Napoleon becomes a Muslim, what a victory it would be. And so the first yeah. thing Napoleon told them is he said, my men love wine. And there's no way we could ever leave wine. And the ulama yeah. sat together and they published the fatwa and they said um, you can still be a Muslim, you and your men but it will be a sin for you guys to drink wine. And Napoleon responded and he said we can live with that. But he said there's something else that bothers me and my man <laughs> and we can never become Muslim. And the ulama said what? He said circumcision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So since since the early days, it's been it's been a cause for deterrent um, from joining the faith.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, in Judaism. I think it's much more pronounced uh, than in than in Islam. But it, it was a it was a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Uh, so if if Acts fifteen, the book of Acts, I mean, I don't want to get too sort of um, detailed with with these citations, but in Acts fifteen, there was a Jerusalem council where Apparently, um, the apostles met, and because a lot of Greeks were interested in becoming Christian, and so, and so um, James declared that basically, someone can become a Christian if they follow the Noahidic laws, right? The Noahide laws, which are basically seven laws. You know, God is one. Don't blaspheme God. Don't ki- don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Uh, don't um, don't torture animals. Um, establish uh, courts for justice. Uh, and and uh, there was one more, um, and so circumcision was not among them, right? Uh, so so Allahu uh, alam, if this is, you know, there's obviously problems with with the book of Acts because it really shows a more congenial relationship between Peter and Paul, whereas if you read the actual letters of Paul, he does not like Peter at all. Um, mm. So th- I think there was a bit of harmonization kind of smoothing over happening here with the, with the book of, uh, book of Acts. But I think the expectation was that, you know, to become Christians, become followers of Jesus, uh, by following the Noahidic laws. And then it was expected over time that they would adopt other, uh, commandments of, of the Torah to give people mm-hmm. time to grow in their faith. And that's the, the wisdom of a progressive revelation. That's why, you know, as our mother Aisha said, if, you know, fornication, if if adultery and wine were, you know, if they were uh, um, prohibited so right, away. right away, very few people would have become Muslim, right? Mm-hmm. Even fewer people, because you know, in, in Mecca there were there weren't a lot of, you know, only you know, seventy or so people made hijra to Medina, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, so um, uh, you know, so there's there's a wisdom behind wisdom. this type of progressive revelation.
0: Okay. Yeah. You know? um, so. So, so, Dr. Ali, we've talked about the Old Testament, which is what, you know, the, what what Jews follow, and they don't refer to it as the Old Testament. Um, they refer to it as, as the Testament. Um, and, you know, the, the New Testament is what Christians follow, and largely the, yeah. the first four Gospels. Um, but when we look at the Old Testament, um, we can see that there are some, there's more, at least what is commonly per, uh, per, uh, perceived, is that the old testament has more similarities with the quran than the new testament is that a statement that you agree with uh,
1: yeah probably because of the stories the qasas in the quran which is a major a major theme a compositional unit of the quran or is uh, the qasas of the quran so the exodus narrative is it the same as in the book of exodus no there there, there are differences okay uh, the the flood narrative uh, you have that in the Quran as well uh, many of the prophets that are mentioned in the Old Testament uh, are mentioned uh, um, uh, in the Quran as well so so in that in that in that sense I would say it, it's similar um, okay but yeah. what,
0: about the, what about what about what about the crude stories that are attributed to certain prophets within the Old Testament is that something as Muslims we believe
1: no, absolutely not. This is something that uh, the erlama are clear about, that prophets have isma, uh, which, means, which means that they're infallible. So there's a difference between infallibility and inerrancy. A prophet is not inerrant. Inerrant means absolutely perfect in the sense that cannot make any type of mistake, even in judgment. The prophets, they can make errors in judgment. They can become angry and things like that. So inerrancy belongs only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, but they're infallible in the sense that they cannot consciously disobey God okay mm-hmm. uh, so you have in the Bible in the Old Testament there are actually two versions of the story of David a lot of people don't know that there's yeah there's first and second kings which uh, you know has includes these stories of you know بالله, السلام, you know committing adultery with his his neighbor's wife and then killing him. Uh, and um, and Suleiman, you know, um, dying on shirk and things like that. But then, 1st and 2nd Chronicles is also in the Tanakh, written a little bit later, uh, but a completely different narrative, a different version of events. And none of those wow. things are mentioned. None of those things are mentioned by the chronicler. Mm-hmm. He didn't agree with those stories, uh, those, those, act- those stories that are attributed to David and Solomon. So it seems like even within. Well, it is even within ancient uh, ancient um, uh, uh, Israelite tradition. You have different schools of thought uh, regarding their own history. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, we don't we don't affirm those okay those stories at all. Yeah,
0: and um, in the Old Testament, there is a book called the Book of Psalms. Um, is this the Zabur that the Quran talks about?
1: Uh, Allahu alam. We, we, I mean, we, we can't know for certain. Uh, mm-hmm. The book of Psalms is, um, it's a, it's a. It, I, I think it's a, a very beautiful text. Um, there's very, there's very little in that text that I think a Muslim would find offensive. Um, okay. um, according to uh, historians, um, I think there's 130 psalms, but, but. Only like the first I don't I don't remember. I think it's the first forty or fifty are actually attributed to Dawood alayhi salam. So the other ones are written by uh, someone else. Other okay. people. Yeah. And uh,
0: it's it's interesting that you know there's there's a hadith um, that says that Dawood or it's it's a saying in our tradition that Dawood alayhi salaam used to sing the Psalms. And you see, you know, the Psalms are at least the ones that are portrayed in the Old Testament are also ones that are meant to be sung. So it's kind of like there's a correlation between the two. Yeah,
1: they're meant to be sung. Exactly. Yeah, that's um, they're very beautiful and they're they're uh, very poetic. Uh, they're usually uh, by member segments, which is a type of, again, of a kind of very familiar, very common rhetorical device in Semitic rhetoric. Um mm-hmm. So, so they're very, very lyrical. They're very beautiful. Hmm. Uh, so, Allahu
0: A'lam, you know. It's, okay, you know, Allahu yeah. A'lam. Just, just one more question related to this topic. We in the yeah. Quran, we also have, Subhanallah, inna Ibrahim wa Musa, that Allah is saying that this message is is mentioned in the scrolls of Musa and Ibrahim. Um, do we have any archaeological evidence of any of these scrolls?
1: that's an interesting question if you read the torah okay the the torah actually quotes from books that are missing okay so Mm -hmm. like in the book of in the book of numbers so genesis exodus leviticus numbers the fourth book of the torah the fourth book of the pentateuch is called numbers and in the book of numbers the author of the book of numbers quotes something called the book of the wars of the lord okay uh, something like Kitab Milchamot Adonai, something like that. I don't remember the Hebrew title, but, but this book is lost. We have no idea where that book is. Mm. Okay, so, so, so the author of Numbers is quoting a book that is lost. We also find that with, uh, well, not necessarily lost, but in, in the, the New Testament book of Jude, Jude quotes from 1st Enoch, and we know what 1st Enoch is. So Jude considered 1st Enoch apparently inspired scripture but it's not in the Christian canon, which is interesting. Uh, but the point is that definitely there were books that, uh, or writings or scriptures that were given to uh, ancient prophets that are no longer extant, okay? Uh, to Musa, alayhi salam, to Ibrahim, alayhi salam. Um, so, I mean, Joseph Smith, the, uh, the, Mormon the Mormon prophet, yeah, he actually claimed to have found the book of Abraham, right? Oh. So he was living in Missouri at the time and some uh, carnival uh, worker or something came through the city dressed as an ancient Egyptian and he actually had a, a, a scroll. Uh, and Joseph Smith, he looked at it and he said, this is the scroll of Abraham. Hmm. And so then he he translated it uh, and it's considered to be scripture. It's in doctrines. It's in uh, the pearl of, I think it's in the pearl of great price. So the Mormons have, Three major sets of texts that are considered sacred te- sacred literature: It's the Book of Mormon, obviously. Then you have something called the, the Pearl of Great Price, and then you have the Doctrines and Covenants, which is like sort of the Hadith of, of Joseph Smith. But in the Pearl of Great Price, you have Joseph Smith's translation of the Book of Abraham. Now, un- unfortunately for Joseph Smith, uh, you know, at that time, no one could really falsify his his translation oh, there were no yeah. egyptologists living in uh-huh. missouri at that time right uh but when do, Egyptology... you, you know
0: do you know some of the things that were mentioned in there that he was writing
1: yeah so egyptologists actually went back and looked at the actual scroll uh uh-huh. and and it's actually a first century bce uh, funeral scroll that has nothing to do with abraham uh, but is um, but is talking about sort of the, the sort of beliefs about ancient Egyptian afterlife, and the, the main characters are you know Isis and and Horus, and so it has absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with Abraham. It it doesn't mm-hmm. even it's not even close to his time. Uh, but Mormons today they continue to insist that somehow you know that this is that this is accurate and it's and it's uh it's um the book of abraham uh <laughs> but uh you know that's uh so you know there's there's cognitive dissonance so that's what happens mm-hmm. when your beliefs are suddenly falsified you have to sort of it's like the in the in the new testament it, if you if we take the new testament gospels and Christians are not going to they're not going to like what i'm about to say but if, if you look at the New Testament Gospels at face value, then Jesus is a false prophet, according to the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, Jesus says that, that the coming kingdom of God will arrive during, during his generation. Okay, there are some standing here that shall not taste death until mm. they see the kingdom of God, until they see the Son of Man coming. He tells Caiaphas, the high priest, and you shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, um, you know. Um,
0: and you mentioned you mentioned in your, your your class that Paul would go around telling people not to get married because you know, like the yeah. day of judgment and stuff was right about to come.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a signature Pauline motif. Paul believed that the that the second coming, the kingdom of God, is going to manifest at any moment. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, so you know, Mark is writing around seventy the temple has been destroyed or is about to get destroyed. You know, the writing is sort of on the wall. He believes it's the end of the world. So for Mark, the Jesus, second coming is imminent. It's any time now. So he Mm -hmm. puts into the, he puts into the mouth of Jesus, these false prophecies, because he believes Mark believes not Jesus, that his second coming is going to manifest at any time. Okay. Um, And so, and so there's, and so this obviously did not happen, right? Mm-hmm. So you have that cognitive dissonance. Now it's interesting. There is a there is a Christian eschatology called preterism, preterism, which How basically P R E T E R I S M. It's also called the 70 A.D. doctrine, and they say that it did come true, that the second coming mm. of Jesus did happen during his generation which is like 40 years. So Jesus said this in 30 or something. And then the temple was, so they actually say the second coming of Jesus was Jesus coming back as judgment upon uh, the Jews for mm-hmm. rejecting yeah. him. And so and the temple, temple. destroyed, oh, okay. destroying us. Yeah, so, the, so, so, so this is how they interpret because plainly, the, clearly the mark in Jesus is saying that this is going to happen within a generation. So the way that they're approaching those texts is correct. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Mm-hmm. But, their, but their conclusions are way out of whack. So Jesus was talking about judgment coming upon and destroying the temple. And uh, so, uh, so this, is, this is what happens and you have cognitive dissonance, right? It's like the, yeah. uh, there was a false messiah called Shabtai Svi, right, who, who was a Turkish rabbi. And I think this was in the 17th century. He actually said he, that he was the Messiah, right? And then um, and, uh, Nathan of Gaza, who was a great rabbi, he actually endorsed him being the Messiah. And this was a global movement. Jews from all around the world, right, wow. believe that th- this man was the Messiah, Shabtai Svi. And they had their bags packed and they were expecting to be magically transported to Jerusalem and, and, uh, and, and then Shabtai Svi, um he he basically started preaching that you know the 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 ottoman sultanate was about to be overthrown <laughs> by by him which is which which, which is treachery right this is khiana right so he uh-huh. was arrested uh he was arrested and and he actually <laughs> he actually ended up becoming muslim uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, but but st- but still his many of his followers they said oh this is you know this he's still the messiah and this is what we're supposed to do he's he's not actually muslim he's actually faking being a muslim so we have to outwardly become muslim so to this uh-huh. day there there are jews in turkey that outwardly look muslim they pray five times a day in the mosque but they're inwardly jewish because they're uh-huh. still followers of this false messiah Shabtai's feet. This is what you oh. do when there's cognitive dissonance. You have to radically reinterpret your beliefs or you have exactly. to abandon your beliefs.
0: Exactly. Uh, and um, so this brings me to, uh, to, to another question. Every year, there's some new archaeological finding or so where they say we found these new Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, what exactly are these scrolls that they're finding? Are these you know, backing up the New Testament, Old Testament? Are these hidden texts? What are they?
1: Yeah, so the the Dead Sea Scrolls are basically a group of texts that were discovered in 1947. It was actually discovered by a Muslim Bedouin. So the text is divided into, so basically it's the entire Tanakh, the the Old Testament, uh, with the exception of the Book of Esther. Um, And then there there are some differences also in, in different books, like the Book of Jeremiah. Uh, but then they also have, so the author, the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls were called the Essenes. So if people want to do research on them, the Essenes were one of the major Jewish groups in the first century that Josephus uh, documents. So these were basically apocalypticists that believed that the entire temple authority was corrupt. So they went out and they lived in the wilderness by Qumran, by the Dead Sea, and they, and they have these writings that are very apocalyptic where they talk about a final sort of battle between the forces of good and evil. And there's a teacher of righteousness and, and people have sort of, there's a lot of theories as to who they're talking about. Um, but the Dead Sea Scrolls really has nothing to do with, with Christian origins, I think. Okay. I think this was a first century before the common era or right around the time of Isa, a Jewish group uh, that believed that the end of the world uh, was uh, about to happen um, um, because of some calculation they probably had concerning the Book of Daniel, but that's a whole different, whole different topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Nag Hammadi Library, discovered in 1945, is really interesting, and these are Christian documents. The Nag Hammadi Library. Uh, so they found documents um, like the the Gospel of Thomas, probably the most famous of the nag Hammadi documents um, which is um, usually dated to the second century uh, but the, the gospel of thomas does not contain a, a passion narrative a passion prediction it's basically just a list of the sayings of jesus uh, and statement number 12 of the gospel of thomas um, when i am gone you must all go to james the just he says for whose sake heaven and earth came into being. So here in the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus actually explicitly um, declares James to be his, his successor. So what that means according to scholars is any missionary has to report to James. They have to, mm. they have to be authorized by James. Mm-hmm. So when the, again, when the Corinthians came to Paul and they said, you know, we need a letter from James, where is it? I don't need one. Uh, I, I was given the gospel directly by Christ right mm-hmm. um so it's
0: it's it, it's interesting because um, you know just going back to the dead sea scrolls because it seems like these scrolls are coming out um and i think one of the things sheik hamza uh mentioned um m- m- many years ago is that many of these scrolls and these documents are being found but many of them are not being brought to public light and the question that arises is, what do you know? What is really in these scrolls? What are they really yeah. talking about?
1: Yeah, I mean, the Dead Sea Scrolls wasn't um, it wasn't available for to in, for independent researchers for something like thirty five years or something like that. So mm-hmm. it was you know dis- discovered in nineteen forty seven, I think, early nineties. So the only two organizations that had access to the scrolls were the Catholic Church and the Israeli government. You know, uh, so what did they find? I don't, you know, Allahu alam. Maybe they found an authentic letter of James <laughs> or authentic letter of Peter. Uh, you know, the, where they actually explain their Christology in light of what Paul is teaching, because everything we have to go upon is is based on Paul uh, or someone pretending to be James or Peter, written later mm-hmm. in the second century. Um, so. I mean we'll see what people like right now the preponderance of evidence I mean this is a whole different topic but you know was Jesus crucified or not historians say yeah he was crucified because Paul says he was and then you have the four gospels and but who knows I mean they might find something you know archaeology has sort of been the 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 bugbear of of trinitarian christianity Interesting. so they they might discover something um, that dates to the 1st century that clearly says that he wasn't crucified in an alternate gospel or something like that, or an epistle mm-hmm. written by an actual disciple where he explains clearly his Christology, uh, or even like a, a response to Paul's letter of Galatians. Um, mm-hmm. uh, may, maybe a Jamesonian uh, apostle um, wrote a letter to Galatia, um, and then Paul responded with his own letter. Maybe that letter is floating around somewhere out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe someday that'll that'll be discovered. Allahu A'lam.
0: You know, but I, th- I think the great tragedy, Doctor Ali, is with all these wars <laughs> you're seeing in the Middle East now. I, I remember I was reading a statistic showing, like in Iraq. Um, Iraq is an ancient civilization. Um, I, I, I know there's a debate. You know, are Iraqis Persian? Um, and I say that because you're Persian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have the Persian blood. Um, but like a lot of these texts have really been destroyed um, with all these drone bombings. So it's it's quite unfortunate that you know, some of these texts probably did exist, but because of these because of these bombings, because of these wars, we'll no longer have access to these incredible texts.
1: Yeah, Allahu Alam, it's uh you know, Iraq is um, you know, there's an there's an opinion that the Garden of Eden was in Iraq, you know. Wow, in, in the book of genesis it it says that you know that um that these two rivers would flow out of the garden and these are the the tigris and the euphrates you know and uh you know mesopotamia literally means the land between the two the two rivers um so and then you know so many prophets are buried in that land so many Auliyah are buried yeah. in in that land you know, so it's uh, it's unfortunate. So yeah, Adam, what you know, what they've destroyed. Uh, mm-hmm. So
0: it's unfortunate. You know, um, yeah. Just on, a, on on a closing note, Doctor Ali, for people who are interested in studying Christianity, interested in studying Judaism, um, what recommendations? You know, I know it's easy to recommend you know books to people, but um, there's obviously a deeper level than one can get to. What recommendations would you have? Um, do you do you recommend they keep listening to blogging theology? Um, <laughs> but where, where do, do you think is a good starting point for them?
1: So I think it's important to have. Um, so a lot of what I've said today to you is very opinionated. It's my own opinion that Christians will uh, disagree with. Uh, sometimes vehemently disagree with and it'll have different talking points and we can go back and forth right so uh, i would say that uh, the, a good starting point for someone that wants to learn these traditions is actually to seek um, authentic knowledge uh, regarding these traditions right so so if someone comes to you and says i want to learn islam you know what would you recommend you have to learn from muslims and muslim texts muslim scholars you know, so so, and and then we can form our own opinions later. So you know, it's really important for us to have accurate, authentic knowledge, uh, accurate knowledge uh, of these traditions before we can actually be a bit uh, judgmental about them and compare them and ask questions and be critical. Um, so um, I would I would study these traditions in their in their normative tradition uh you know learn learn jewish theology learn christian theology you have to know what is the trinity you know what what do what do the what do christian theologians say about the trinity how do they how do they explain the trinity how do they justify the trinity we have to know these things and then also learning you know language is really important too and this is a, you know something that is difficult for a lot of people and so but we have to know if we're going to engage seriously with these traditions we have to know something of hebrew and syriac and and greek and in latin you know Uh, just as someone who is serious serious about learning islam they have to know arabic they have Mm -hmm. to know you know maybe farsi you know they have to they have to know these languages um so you know the point here is not to you know, the point here is not is not to you know stroke one's ego and go out and debate and, and uh, you know and you know because you know things like that you know just it's very difficult to debate. I used to uh, debate a lot of Christians and I and I kind of just left it because because it's 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 very difficult to take your ego out of that equation. Mm-hmm. And I was just very honest with myself that um, uh, that it's it's not good for me to do that. Uh, so I I present I lecture and things like that, but I don't really engage in much in much debate anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and oftentimes debates that you watch on YouTube and things like that they sort of spiral way out of you know control, and it becomes basically two people just kind of mocking each other. And so I'm not really interested in, in, in all that. So my advice is learn these traditions in their normative. Uh, um, uh, um, what's the word understandings, understandings right. exactly Yeah,
0: because it's an excellent point because some people will just brush off you know they'll, they'll pick up one book on a religion and they'll say you know I understand it completely um, but just the way I like to look at it is you know imagine the, you, they were in uh, your shoes doing it with Islam and they picked up yeah. a book Islam 101 and they said oh I know everything about the religion here is the contradiction Right, it's it's, yeah. it's same thing, and I think especially with Christianity and the Trinity, um, it's very easy to say, "Oh, look, it's a contradiction." But like you've mentioned, uh, going deep into their philosophy, into theology, you can see that it's a little bit more deeper than that.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's a very deep tradition, you know. So so the point is, is it justifiable to believe in the Trinity? Is it is it uh, theologically consistent with what mm-hmm. we find? In the Tanakh to believe in the Trinity because there has to be a theological consistency and if it's not consistent, then why is it not consistent? Um, so th- these are the questions we need to ask and it takes, you know a, 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 You know a serious student of a, knowledge lifetime. To, yeah. a lifetime. Yeah, exactly
0: <laughs> <laughs> it Takes a lifetime um... But thank you, thank you, Doctor Ali, for those words. Um, I think now you know a lot of people have the tools they need to go into these, um, you know, the old and new testaments if they're interested. And obviously, the first most priority is given to the Quran because um, who are we to even be delving into other religions when we have just a basic understanding of our own? Yeah. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, if if we're not praying, (laughs) if we're not praying five times a day. We have no business <laughs> cracking open a Bible. You know, it's, it's just uh, ridiculous to do that. We need to establish the dain, Okay. And then, you know, da'wah is, you know, the Quran tells us, بالحكمة والمعيذة hasana, you know, with, with wisdom and with beautiful preaching. And the ulama say that the meaning of that is with dalail, with proofs, rational proofs, scriptural proofs, and with good comportment, you know, with, with a good attitude. Do you have a Logos? and you have Ethos? You mm-hmm. know, so it's, it's not easy. It's a difficult thing. You know, it's uh, and um, uh, so so we should start with ourselves and and be very, very self-critical. But at the same time, we also have to make dawah, but we have to be careful that we do it in a in a prophetic way, you know, uh, in, in a way that is befitting of a Muslim. And that doesn't mean that you can't question. You can't be critical. I was very critical. Today, you know, there are things that I said that I'm sure Christians would find offensive, but I can't help that if they read the Quran, they will be offended. The Quran says Jesus is not God and and he was not crucified. Mm -hmm. So I would argue that the Quran is by its nature offensive to Christians. It's just how are you going to deal with that offense? You can be immature about it and, Mm -hmm. you know, stomp stomp your feet and, and become a victim and call it a microaggression, or you can ignore it, or you can try to respond to it. You know
0: <laughs> <laughs> it seems like everything today can just be blamed to microaggressions you know you just yeah. uh, I was i was watching uh dave Chappelle earlier today and he's like you know you can't say anything out he he gave a he gave an analogy he said um he yeah. said who am yeah. i imitating and then he he did this he did this voice this was on his uh sticks and stones uh documentary and he said yeah. um he was imitating someone saying oh you can't say that oh you know we have to ban you and he asked, like, the audience, "Whom am I speaking about?" And the audience said, "Donald Trump." He said, "No, I'm talking about you. <laughs> said, this is how you act. You know, you nobody yeah. can open up their mouth today without some form of microaggression or some sort of trigger, yeah. right?" So yeah, yeah. I think we're getting into uh, discussions like these. Are you know, you're you're bound to have certain people who are going to get triggered. Um, you know, if you talk about yeah. gender in today's discourse, some people will get triggered and they'll boycott oh, you. But Um. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing is language is, you know, man means woman and up means down and black means white. And, you know, you know, if we we ignore definitions, I mean, a definition is supposed to delimit to demarcate something. Right. Mm -hmm. But if if a word can mean whatever you want it to mean, then anything can mean anything. And so we might as well stop talking. But if we stop talking, you know, they say that if, if dialogue becomes impossible, then violence becomes inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need to keep talking and we shouldn't be afraid that we're going to, obviously we use tact, we try to be civil, you know, we, um, we, we don't go out of our way to disrespect people, but we have a tradition and we, we believe that tradition to be true and we believe that tradition to be beneficial for humanity, so, you know, um, we mm-hmm. should be courageous uh, and, and, um, and uh, uphold that tradition.
0: And again, like you mentioned, we have to have wisdom. Um, you know, the, the, two, the two things we have to have are, are principles. And, and, you know, another thing I'll mention from Dave Chappelle is, you know, he put down $50 million. He declined $50 million just on because of his moral beliefs. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was, I was watching, he has a new podcast called um, The Midnight Miracle. And in one of the episodes, he plays an audio clip from Sheikh Hamza. Um, and wow. uh, throughout the podcast, him and his friends are praising Sheikh Hamza as well and quoting him. So um, it's a beautiful yeah, thing man. to see. But one of the things Dave Chappelle said is, you know, he got to the he got to his um, room, you know, his, his room where they were going to dress him up and they had a dress there. And they said, wouldn't it be so funny if you were to wear this dress um, yeah. and you would be like this pixie? And yeah. he realized, he said, he's like hell no there's no way i'm going to stand in front of a crowd in a pixie dress um 50 million dollars and you know everybody you know everybody looked at him and said he was crazy he declined 50 million but it was because he held on to his principles and later on netflix gave him 60 million so you know i I think i think the proof is you know if you hold on to your beliefs ultimately you'll be vindicated and the reward will come
1: yeah exactly i had a I had a, and a, we'll end with this because uh, it's getting a bit late for me. I'm actually in my daughter's room and she, she needs to go to bed. <laughs> but it's the only room in the house I could use. But uh, there was a years ago, there was a young man, Muslim man who came up to me and he said, he said, um, uh, I got hired by a company and they want to take me out to lunch and it's Ramadan, but I'm going to eat. And I said, no, don't eat. And, uh, he said, no, they're going to think, uh, you know, I'm weird and this and that. And, you know, I said, you know, then I told him a story. I used to be an accountant, right. Way mm-hmm. back, back Before in the, the day. day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, during the debating days, and, uh, <laughs> uh, which tells you something. Um, uh, and, uh, anyway, so, they, so I got hired as an accountant and they also hired a CEO the same week they hired me as a staff accountant. So they took both of us out to lunch. Okay. And it was Ramadan, okay? So we go out, and uh, and so I say, oh, I'm, I'm fasting. And the CEO was a Jewish man, and it was Passover week. And so he actually brought his own lunch. He had these crackers, and, and we just hit it off right there at that lunch. This is the CEO of the company, and wow. I'm a lowly staff accountant. I'm a 22, 23-year-old staff accountant. And we just started talking. And for the next, you know, the whole three years that I worked there, we had this incredible relationship wow. you know, this, with this, I would go into his office, just sit down and talk to him. And everyone's looking, what's this guy doing? In the <laughs> uh, And then when I, when I left that job, he actually told me, he said, if you ever want to come back, just let me know, you know, <laughs> uh, so you're right. Exactly. If, you know, we have principles uphold, trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who's in charge of everything. You know, it's oh, yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala You know, we need to follow our principles And put our trust in Allah That's the real meaning of tawakkul Tawakkul is not to be heedless You know, it's, it's not to, you know, throw caution to the wind And, you know, get in your car and drive at 90 miles an hour Without a seatbelt That's not tawakkul It's to follow your principles To follow the sunnah To take precautions And then, as the Quran says فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ When you have resolved to do something Then place your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala
0: and I think that's a beautiful reminder to end off on so Jazakum Allah khairan Dr. Ali we Jazakum appreciate khairan. your time and we look forward to future podcasts with you on a number of topics
1: <laughs> let's, let's do it inshallah, Jazakum inshallah. Khairan.
0: thank you everybody for listening uh, take care assalamu alaikum wa, wa Barakatuh.